The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. All right, I'd like to start with scripture this morning. It's a good way to start things sometimes at church uh, to set the tone for what we're going to talk about. And so if you do have Bibles with you today and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And since we do have the kids in here with us today, I thought we'd do this just a little bit different than normal. So go ahead and play the video we have for you. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So let me ask you a weird question. It's probably not the kind of question that you expect to be hearing, especially in church, on Christmas and from the pastor, but... Your ghost. Is Christmas working for you? I mean, is it? <laughs> and maybe you think, I know where he's going with this, you know. Typical Charlie Brown Christmas message. Christmas is not all about the presents. It's about Jesus, right? That's, where I'm go- That's not where I'm going at all, actually. As much as that would be a challenging message, it would be good, and everybody would love it, and, you know, tell me. Great things, I'm sure. Um, I mean, you're all here today already, right? You're already here on Christmas Day in church, so I'm thinking there's a chance that you already are willing to admit there could be a connection between Christmas and Jesus Christ. And maybe even when you see Linus, you know, giving his monologue there, you know that he's actually referring to the scriptures from Luke chapter 2. And you might even think, hey, there's really something to this. Linus gets it, right? So I'm willing to give you that benefit of the doubt, but I still want to ask the question, not, not what culture has made of Christmas, but is Christmas itself what it should be? The Christmas of the Bible, is that working for you? Because you see, those verses of Scripture that we just heard, they make some pretty huge promises about what Christmas means, what Christ's coming to earth means. That first angel that speaks offers good tidings of great joy. And, you know, that's a pretty big promise already. But he says, and by the way, it'll be to all people. So if you're missing out on it, hmm, you've got to ask some questions maybe. And then the heavens open up and they reveal the host of angels. And they do two things in addition to worshiping God and praising God. Secondly, they make another promise and they say, and there should be peace on earth. There should be goodwill to all upon whom God's favor rests. And ever since these announcements that the angels made. The Christmas season has been known particularly as this season of joy and of peace 
and where those two values and virtues are lifted up. The angels literally announced it from the heavens. We believed it, and we started making Christmas cards. <laughs> and we started making decorations. And we started singing songs everywhere, repeating these ideas that because Jesus has come into the world, joy has come. Peace has come to us in a way we have never before experienced. So it's with that background that I am asking you, is Christmas working for you? The songs tell us, right, that this is the most wonderful time of the year. But I'm not talking about the songs. I'm not talking about the traditions, the presents, the big gatherings. Even if we had none of those things, the Bible still has these huge promises. God's word is this place that speaks of joy. God's word is our source for why do we say that peace has come? Are you seeing any peace in your life this year? Is there any lasting joy invading your world? Keep those questions in mind, and we will come back to them. Because today, I want us to look at another Christmas carol this week that actually helps raise some of those questions as well as answer some of them. This is something we've been doing each week in the month of December in this, at CRC here, and we've been looking at a different Christmas song and explaining the story behind the carol, but also kind of the story inside the carol, right? The background of, of where it came from, but also looking at what it says to us about Christmas, what it says to us about our relationship to the Son of God who is at the center of it. And for Christmas weekends, in a sense, we have saved one of the biggest and best for last. Today, we'll look at the song, Joy to the World. And before I even get to the background behind the song, let me tell you a bit why I would say it's one of the biggest and best. I mean, this is quite a remarkable song. It's not just another of the many Christmas songs. It's a remarkable one. I mean, first off, we could start with where it came from. It kind of came from the dream team of hymn writing, if you will. Like, you've got three guys that are associated with Joy to the World, and they all have some sort of title associated with their name. They're all like the guy who did this, right? First of all, you have the person who wrote the lyrics, Isaac Watts. He was an 18th century pastor, theologian, hymn writer, and logician. Logician. Nobody's cheering. Logician. No, okay, sorry. He was an 18th century, so 1700s guy who wrote the lyrics, and he is known as the father of English hymn writing. Like, weren't for him, we wouldn't have English hymns. That's what it says. Uh, so the second guy associated with this is America, the American uh, Lowell Mason, and he is the one kind of associated with the tune that we have for Joy to the World, the final version of it anyway, some controversy around who wrote that and everything. Over 100 years later, though, after the words were written, and he is known as the first important music educator in the United States, largely credited for getting music into our public school system. Like Everett School was, you know, band and choir and orchestra and everything, Lowell Mason. But not just that. Here's what Lowell Mason did. He wrote the tune to Mary Had a Little Lamb. So, so, enough <laughs> said. Moving on, the third person associated with this song is George Friedrich Handel. 
And if you've ever heard of Handel, you've probably heard of Handel's Messiah. He was an 18th century composer uh, on the musical side, uh, more than the lyric side. And he put together uh, what is known as Handel's Messiah today is a two and a half hour long series of pieces of music that tell the story of Christ from the prophets on to Christ's birth at Christmas through his life, death, and resurrection. And it's a masterpiece known throughout the ages uh, and still performed very frequently during Christmas time each year in many places. So the dream team comes together somehow, three guys from Germany, England, and America who never met each other and over the course of 100 years somehow put together joy to the world. What else is remarkable about this song? Well, first of all, it is about 300 years old, the lyrics to it anyway. About 300 years old is one of the oldest hymns written, uh, besides words that are directly from the scriptures, if you will, the oldest hymns we have written in the church. And unlike many of them, usually when you get that old, uh, you know, the words kind of change here and there over time and everything. We're still singing the exact same words that were written 300 years ago. A study done in 1979 found that of all the Christmas hymns or carols that are sung in the church today, Joy to the World was the number one most publicized song. And then if you are a hymn geek, how many hymn geeks? I don't know how many hymn geeks we have. But if you're a hymn geek and you go to a website called hymnary.org, you'll find that they have... um, their, their best data shows that Joy to the World's popularity in hymn books is even more popular today than it was in 1979 when it was the number one publicized hymn. Last but not least, I can tell you this. Joy to the World is the number one Christmas song we have sung here at Canyon Ridge this December. So I was holding on to that one. <laughs> hey, we even like the song, right? It's not just famous. We actually like it. So now for the story behind it. It's actually somewhat of a story of scandal, a story of faith, and a story that will change the way you understand this hymn for the rest of your life. It actually might be, really might be, not just a creative way of introducing it. So anyway, Joy to the World was originally written by Isaac Watts in the early years of the 18th century. Watts, as I mentioned, he was a minister in the church, but he was also a prolific writer of hymns. If you're the father of English hymn writing, you better write some hymns. So, so he did. He wrote about 750 of them that we know we can give him credit for. And uh, ever since a young age, Watts was a gifted uh, poet. He had this gift of being able to see what he saw and turn it into verse or rhyme. As a matter of fact, there's a story that goes about him that uh, he was caught doing something he shouldn't do once. Something terrible. He opened his eyes during prayer. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Anyway, he was caught doing that. Side note to that, though. If you catch someone opening their eyes during prayer, I don't know, something about that. But he was caught. And uh, so he was about to get in trouble. And uh, he was asked, why were your eyes open during prayer, young man? And he said this. He said, a little mouse, for want of stairs, ran up a rope to say its prayers. Well, I got some spankings for that. And then he had a response to that. His response was, oh, father, father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. I don't know if that made anything any better or not for him. Or if the, yeah. I don't know, but as irony would have it, the very 
gift that got him in trouble when he was a child became something that would show through as a gift of God when he was an adult. And it would also still continue to cause some controversy. Because, you see, when Watts was growing up, yes, they had church. You know, he was a minister. There was church, and they got together, and they did sing. But they were only allowed to sing one thing when they came to church. They were allowed to sing the Psalms directly as written in the Bible, and that was it. Every week they would come together, and they would sing the Psalms, but they could not stray from any of the words that were translated there for them in front of them. Despite the fact that the Psalms themselves say, sing to the Lord a new song, straying from this pattern of old songs was not allowed. It was not acceptable in the church. Well, that's where Watt came in. He believed that the truth of Scripture could still be sung about using new expressions. In particular, when he read the Psalms, he said, these are great these have all these wonderful prayers. They have all these wonderful songs that, that honor the Lord, and they point forward to Jesus. But because they were written several hundred years before Jesus was born and before the rest of the Bible was written, the Psalms only partially reveal that truth to us. And so Watts, Watts thought, we've got to keep singing these truths, but we need to sing them in the full light of what it means that Jesus came as a human being, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, that he rose from the dead, that he gave us the Holy Spirit, that he ascended to heaven and he promised that he would return again and set up a new heaven and a new earth here. He's like, we've got to sing it in that light. And so he broke the rules. He broke the rules of the day and he said, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write hymns that have a new way of expressing the same truths. I'm not going against these truths, but I'm expressing them in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And so one of his projects that he wrote in particular was new poetry that represented the majority of the entire book of Psalms, but he wrote them all from a Christian understanding. And he titled this massive volume, The Psalms of David, imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. <laughs> so, pretty good hymn writer. Titles were a little long, though. <laughs> I mean, that's a little off topic, but he also wrote a book on logic, right? Huh? We talked about logic. He wrote a book on logic, and get the title of this book he wrote. It's called Logic, or The Right Use of Reason in the Inquiry After Truth with a Variety of Rules to Guard Against Error in the Affairs of Religion and Human Life, as well as in the Sciences. I counted, and there are more words in the title of his book than there are in the first verse of Joy to the World. So, so anyway, Watts took the risk. He strayed from the acceptable practices of the day, and he wrote hymns or verses that expressed the Psalms from the Bible in a new way. Now that Jesus Christ had been revealed, and in that book of his re-expressing the Psalms, that's where we get... Joy to the world. That's where joy to the world came into existence. It was Isaac Watts's Christian ter interpretation of Psalm 98, verses 4 through 9. His version of this is short and it's powerful, and it reads as follows. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. 
Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. I told you that the lyrics haven't changed in almost 300 years, and they haven't. But the title Watts gave to the song was very different. He called it The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom. And it's at this point that maybe you'll start to realize the biggest secrets behind what we call Joy to the World. Here it is. It wasn't written about Christmas at all. Perhaps the most published Christmas hymn of all time wasn't even written about Christmas. It was written about the second coming of Christ. It's about the fullness of Christ's joy for not just us, but with all creation joining into it. Do you see that? Think about the lyrics. It talks about Jesus ruling and reigning over all the earth with the nations bowing down to him. It talks about fields and waters and mountains and valleys all joining in this fullness of joy. It talks about God's blessings reversing the effects of the curse that came along with humanity's choice to sin. This Joy to the world, this is the end game. This is heaven come to earth. This is God's dwelling come to be with people. This isn't talking about the beginning of the New Testament where we have the stories of Christ's birth. This is talking about the second to last chapter of the Bible where a loud voice comes from the throne of God and says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Now that is joy. That will be joy. And we can't possibly imagine how great a day that will be. So why do we sing this at Christmas? (laughs) Because the angel told us. The angel told us that that joy starts with Christmas. It starts here. There is no way to get there without Jesus first coming here. What is this great joy that the angels spoke about for all people? That joy is that even though we could never earn what Jesus has promised. We have never earned, we can never earn this end of the story in a thousand lifetimes. Jesus Christ has come and he has earned it for us. He has made a way for us to dwell with God forever, beginning here and now, and then with things getting unbelievably good when we get to the events at the end of the book. And we're not talking about sitting on a harp or sitting on a cloud playing a harp or for that matter, sitting on a harp and playing a cloud. We are not talking about either of those things. 
We are talking about living and working and fellowshipping with God and others in the most fulfilling, satisfying, exciting, and yes, joyful life possible, the eternal life that we were always created for. That's what God has in store for those who love him. And it all starts and it continues and it never ends in Jesus. It starts and it continues and it never ends in Jesus. Now that's a reason to celebrate Christmas. So let me circle back to the question I asked you today. How's Christmas working for you? How is your joy? How is your peace Do you have something real or are you hoping maybe this holiday season will be different? Hey, it's Christmas already, but we still got to the end of the day, right? Maybe this time things will go better. Maybe you will be more joyful when it's all said and done. Maybe you will have more peace even though you don't know why. You see, everyone agrees that it is supposed to be this season of joy and peace and love and hope. And and well, it can be, it can be, But here's the tricky part. It's not the season or it's not the holiday that brings those things. I hate to burst your bubble. There's nothing particularly special about December or decorations or lights or the colors red and green or exchanging gifts or going to parties or overeating. (laughs) Nothing particular about any of those things that brings about lasting joy. And while we're on the subject... There's nothing in money. There is nothing in work. There is nothing in entertainment that produces lasting joy. There's nothing in food. There's nothing in stuff. There's nothing in our phones that we can't put down. There's nothing in our social networks. There's nothing in our favorite sports teams that produces lasting joy. There's nothing about getting what we want. There's nothing about our achievements. There's nothing in a world-class vacation that produces lasting joy either. Temporary joy, sure, it's everywhere. You can chase that every day in a thousand different directions. But don't you want the good stuff? Don't you want the joy to the world stuff? Don't you want the no more tears, God and people dwelling together for the life you were always created for stuff? Well, our song today tells us where it's found. You want that kind of joy? Well, then let earth receive her king. Line two of the song, right after the promise of joy. You're not messing around here. Lasting joy is only found in living for Jesus. And that's important. I can just say lasting joy is only found in Jesus, and that's a true statement, but you might misinterpret me. You might say, I know a lot about Jesus, and there's great joy in that. No, lasting joy is not found in knowing a lot about Jesus. Lasting joy is not found in saying great things about Jesus, claiming to be Jesus' buddy. Lasting joy is only found in living for Jesus. I mean, joy has been proclaimed from the heaven. It is available to all people, but you know who's going to actually find it? It's those who have received Jesus as their king, those who live to serve him. The first chapter of John's gospel uh, tells us that it is those who receive Jesus and put their faith in him 
They are the ones who are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And if we went back and looked some more at that second to last chapter in the Bible I was talking about, Revelation chapter 21, you know, we read there and this description of incredible joy, the best joy that could ever be imagined. And, and I'm sure the words are only uh, just, just a sampling of what that would be like. Just read a couple of verses down and it will tell you. Those who are victorious will inherit, inherit all of this. And God says, I will be their God and they will be my children. It's a joy. It's an incredible joy beyond our imaginations, this future that is beyond what we have ever dreamed of, but it's one that belongs only to some. All are invited, but it's only found by those who become the children of the king, those who receive Jesus as their king and live for him. Lasting joy is only found in living for Jesus, but here's the deal. That doesn't mean, okay, so if you haven't been living for Jesus, make sure you add that in. Get that right. I mean, there's a lot of things that that works for, you know. You haven't been maintaining your car. You should start doing that. You should just, you know, make sure that you work that in somewhere, right? But this isn't just something to add into your life. Because the other thing that we need to take away from this song and, and what God wants to say to us today is that living for Jesus means... That we give up trying to find lasting joy everywhere else. Living for Jesus means that we need to give up trying to find lasting joy somewhere else. As Joy to the World continues, line three says this, Let every heart prepare him room. Now that sounds just kind of like a quaint phrase, you know. It's Christmas time. Better clean up your house. Jesus is coming over, you know. Make sure you got a place for him to stay. But that's not what it's saying. It's more like, hey, get off the throne. The king of kings is coming over and you can't be sitting there. Let every heart prepare him room. Look at the assumption in that phrase. The assumption is your heart won't have room for a king unless you make room. Your heart's probably running after so many things right now, so many other sources of joy, night and day. Maybe this will give me joy. Maybe this will give me joy. Maybe this will give me joy. How do you expect to experience the joy that only God can give and only when he is king in your life? How many times have we called Jesus our king, sung about Jesus as our king, but still really left that as an empty title? Really our lives run on our own agendas we're sitting on the throne. But if we'll stop, if we'll stop looking for our joy everywhere else, there's so many places that promise it, and those promises are no good. And if we'll stop looking in those places for our joy so that we can focus on only living for him, then I guarantee we will learn about a whole new kind of joy. Christmas is supposed to be a season of joy. It's supposed to be a time of peace. It's supposed to be um, a message and uh, an encouragement of hope and love. But not just because it is. <laughs> not just because of any of the holiday traditions we engage in, no matter how great they are. And I'm not saying they're bad. Maybe they're amazing, but that's not the reason why this is a season of joy and hope and love and peace. Christmas produces these wonderful things in our lives 
When Christmas does what it's meant to do, when it points us back to Jesus, simply put, Christmas is meant to point us back to Jesus. Not just to remembering the story of his birth, but embracing him again as our king, our Lord and Savior, who doesn't just rule and reign in some sort of fairy tale fashion, fun to sing about, great songs, great poetry, no, but who truly has the lead in our lives. And it's there, and there alone, that we will find the real thing true, lasting joy. And when we've got true, lasting joy, it makes all the sense in the world to celebrate. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you today for who you are and for what you have done. And we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the good news that because of you, we can be named children of God. And I have just one request for you today, Lord. Instead of asking you to bring us joy, I ask simply that you would be our joy. May we trade in everything else we have if that's what it takes to receive more of you. 